I'm drowsy because I had to take a pain pill. <laughs> I got up this morning and I said, I got to go to the clinic. So I, had to, I didn't got here late for power because I had to go to urgent care because I got, had a little pain, a little stretch. I think I strained something. So pray for me. Amen. I need help here. <laughs> Keep me awake. Praise God. Let us. Yeah I, got, yeah, I got big boy here. I got my sister-in-laws are here. They got, grandkids are here. Everybody's here. Amen. My wife is here. Miss Jones is here. Amen. Praise God. Okay. We're going to get started. First, we just go. Pastor Lee Price is here. We forgot about Pastor Lee Price. Amen. Praise God. Amen. So let us have a word of prayer. Father, this afternoon, we're just so thankful to be in the house of prayer once again. We're thankful, Father, that you blessed us with life and that more abundantly. You awakened us today to see a new day, a day we'd never seen before. We're thankful, Father, for health in our bodies. We're thankful, Father, for strength. We're thankful, Father, for soundness of mind. We know we have our minds because we find ourselves desiring to be in the house of the Lord. The servants said, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. And so this morning, God, we just ask your spirit to have its way rest upon us. Move in these aisles, God, touching everywhere and every place that you know needs to be touched, God. Many have come here with burdens. Many have come here with concerns. But you're bigger than our concerns. You're bigger than any mountain that's in our lives. Any roadblock, Lord, you you can take around. You can take us through. We thank you, Father. Bless your word this morning. Your people are ready to hear what your spirit has to say to the church. Speak your word in the name of Jesus, we pray. Thank you, Lord. Amen. 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 You may be seated. And as we uh, approach the end of this uh, day uh, in the house of prayer, we're going to be looking at, I use for a theme, focus on heaven and be thankful. Focus on heaven and be what I say thankful you know being thankful you know this is something that the children have to hear that God expects us to thank him we thank our moms and dads and we thank our you know we thank our friends more than we'll thank our parents sometimes but God wants us to be thankful to him and we're going to look in the book of Colossians My focal verses are going to be the third chapter, verse 1 and 2. And then finally, verse 15, we'll go and we'll hit on some other things. And the book of Colossians, just as a small review, looks at the preeminence of Jesus Christ. In other words, Christ was first, is first, and always will be first in all things. He was there before time began. He is first in all things. He's the first one to love you and me. He loves us with an everlasting love. And his love endures to all generations. 
for those that love him. So he is preeminent in all things. And so the book of Colossians looks at some of the things that the Colossian church was dealing with. And heresies had entered into the church. What I mean by heresies, false doctrine. One of the false doctrines was related to philosophy. You know, and so when Paul is telling them that Jesus is preeminent, Jesus is greater than any of your philosophies. And so what we mean by philosophy, philosophy is a Greek word. It comes from a compound word, philo, meaning love. We heard of uh, the uh, uh, phileo love, which is brotherly love. That philo is a type of love. But it's a worldly love. And then Sophie, anybody ever, anybody got any relatives or daughters or, or, or sisters named Sophia? The name Sophia comes from that Greek word. It means wisdom. So philosophy simply means a lover of wisdom. And if you remember what Jesus had told them, they said the Jews just seek a sign, but the Greeks want wisdom. Because they and, and this is what the Greeks did. They always were looking for some new thing going on and so that they could talk about it and measure it and talk about it and break it down. That's philosophy. And so what God wants us to understand is that the wisdom of God is what we want. We don't want the wisdom of the world. We need wisdom in the world. But our inevitable wisdom needs to come from God. James would say what? If you anyone lacks wisdom... To what? Let him ask of God who gives. He does not hold back. That's the wisdom that we want. Not the world's wisdom. Not the world's philosophy. And he also tell, tells them about legalism. Legalism. That means you can't touch this. You can't eat that. You can't drink this. You can't do this on the Sabbath. That's legalism. But the Bible tells us that we have a liberty in Christ. We're not bound by a, a bunch of rules and regulations. So Jesus is preeminent over philosophies of all kinds, all worldly philosophies. He's God. He is Lord and preeminent over philosophies and legalism. You don't need those rules anymore. Those rules were put there for a reason. It's to be reminders. But without the spirit of Christ, you can't keep them anyway. So you need the Lord. Amen. So I'm going to look at some verses. I'm not going to look at all of them in these uh, first uh, 15 verses of chapter three. But I did want to kind of look at what he's looking at before we get to chapter three. So verse one says in chapter three, since you have been raised to new life. Now, so this verse and this book is written to believers. It's written to the church at Colossae. It's written to those that are born again. Because he says something here that if you don't know the Lord, this does not apply to you. It says, since you have been raised to new life in Christ. You should underline that if you have your Bibles, that new life in Christ. He says, because since you have been raised to new life in Christ, set your sights. I love how the New Living Translation puts this. New King James says, set your affections. New Living Translation says, set your sights. On the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Our focus has to be otherworldly. Then he says in verse 2, think about the things of heaven, not the things of the earth. Now, he's not saying don't think about everyday life, because you have to do everyday life. 
But your priorities have been set. You set your own priorities every day. When you get up in the morning, you decide where you're going in that day. You already probably have plans. But in your plans, make sure you don't forget God. Make sure you put God in the beginning of your day, every day. Because what? He needs to be preeminent. Even as Paul is, 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 is iterating here that Jesus is preeminent over all things. He's, we need to make Jesus preeminent in our lives. I need to make him preeminent in my day. When I get up in the morning, my thought should be the Lord. And what I woke up, so what do I, what do, I do? I thank him. I thank you, Lord, for waking me up to see this new day. Do you know that the reason people wake up when it's daytime is because there is an internal clock in your, in your head? It's called a pineal gland. That gland responds to, light, responds to light around you. So when light comes on, your body secretes a hormone that says, time to get up. Do you know why that happens? Do you know why? Because God, God planned it that way. And when he says it in the 23rd Psalm, he says, the Lord is my shepherd. And it says he makes me to lie down. He makes you lie down and, and, and rest because we need rest. Right now, I could take a real good nap. We need rest. We need rest because this body is, is, is gets tired real quick, real easy. And, and when we get our age, you know, it gives you need a little bit more rest. I'm pointing at that one right over there. <laughs> Point over there. So he says, set your sights on the realities of heaven. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. So we do have to think about the things on earth because we have to live every day. But make sure that where your priorities lie, make Christ the beginning of that process of your day. Amen. And it says uh, in verse 4, and when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in his glory. Now, that's a blessing. You get to share in his glory. And verse 5 says, put to death. Now, here's where we're going to enter in a section where Paul is going to delineate some things. He's going to talk about the old nature and the new nature and the old man and the new man and the things that, the, that, that you do because of your old nature and the things that you do because of your new nature. And so why this is important is because we're talking about heavenly things. This is a focus on heavenly things. We're heavenly beings, and I want to show you how uh, you are a heavenly being living in the world, in the earth. We're here. The scripture says we are in this world, but what? We're not of this world. We're headed toward home. We haven't reached home. And so we don't want to get too comfortable here because what you got down here, ain't ta you're not taking with you anyway. So he tells you in verse 5, put to death. What does put to death mean? That means to kill something. Mortify what? The deeds of the flesh. Here he gives you a little list here. He says the sinful, earthly things lurking within you. I, that word lurking is like, man, that, that, that's like, wow, this thing's lurking, you know. <laughs> Having nothing to do with sexual. Listen, this is some of the, some of the things he says are a part of your old nature. But he says to put them to death. Let's look at some of these things he's saying. Sexual immorality. Why is sexual immorality a big deal? Sexual sins are specific. Because sexual sin is, in, is, is involved with the body. Everything else that's a sin is done outside of the body except sexual sin. 
Sexual sin is bad because God has made an institution called marriage between a man and a woman. He made it where they work together. They become one and they work together. And this is a picture of Jesus Christ's relationship with the church. So Jesus Christ is not having no affair with the things of this world or the devil. Jesus Christ loves the church. And the way he showed his love for the church is what he did. He gave his life. He died. He did it voluntarily. And he didn't do it because we're so good. He didn't do it because you're pretty or handsome or smart. You got three PhDs. You smart. But he didn't do it because of your smartness. Because he's way smarter than you anyway. You can have 100 PhDs. You're not as smart as he is. So he died for you because of one thing. Well, I put two, two things. One is he, 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 he loves you, but the, 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 the key to his love for you is that he is love. God is love. His personality, his characteristics of who he is is to love. And love does something. Love is not this, you know, with the, 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 the slogan in Missouri, the show me state. You know, women want you to tell me, tell me you love me. You don't tell me, you, you don't love me. You never say it. What Jesus didn't tell, he, he didn't tell us to tell. He didn't come here and say, I love you and go back to heaven. He showed his love. Because he is love. So the second thing is he showed his love in that while we were what? Yet in our sin. Because we had a, a problem. And that was called sin. The only solution was the problem was the sacrifice. Because the Bible says sin brings death. So instead of me paying that price for myself, Jesus said, I'm going to do it for you. On the cross. Jesus committed no sin. Scripture says, he that knew no sin has become sin for us. God looked at Jesus on that cross, and he saw all your sins and my sins and their sins in the past and those sins in the future and put them on Jesus. That's why when he's in that garden, one of the reasons, he said, this is heavy. Miss Jones was talking about how he sweat as it were drops of blood, agonizing in prayer. That was one of the reasons. The other reason is he's going to be separated from his father, which he'd never been. That's a hard one right there. So he says, don't be, let's see, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desires are all a part of the old man. He says to kill that. Kill that. Put it to death. King James says, mortify. And it says, because of these things, because of these sins, the anger of God is coming. You used to do these things. Underline that. If you know the Lord and you are, as he said in verse 1, have been raised to newness of life, then what? You need to do these things. Let's see. Yeah. You, you, you used to do these things. So he said that was the old you. So if the old you used to do those things, but here you are saved and you're still doing some of those things. Huh? This is what he's writing this for. For those that are doing the things that you're no longer supposed to be doing. You're indulging. Part of you, you you've changed in that God has given you his spirit, but you have brought into this relationship old stuff, old baggage. 
your old habits, your old desires. And this is why you need the word of God to do what? Renew your mind. Because this is where it starts. It starts in your mind. Romans 12, 2 says, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You're used to do these things. And let's make sure that that's true. When your life was still part of this world. See, we are in the world, but not no longer of the world. And so we're not supposed to do. We're supposed to be different than the world. We get saved not to go on to doing old things. He says, behold, all things are what? Brand new. Verse 10 says, put on. Let me see, verse 8. He says, okay, now here's where we start the delineation right here. He says, but now. Now is the time to first, he said, get rid of, put off, anger, rage. What is rage? Rage is anger on steroids. Where you start to act out the, the anger that's in you and you start to take out on somebody outside. You hurt somebody. You know, you want to hurt somebody. That's called rage. Malicious behavior means that you have uh, uh, a premeditation to do something bad. You are thinking it over. You're plotting and you're planning how to do it. Slander. You're putting somebody's name in the dirt. Messing up their reputation and dirty language, I think that's self-explanatory. And verse 11 says, uh, see, verse 9 says, don't lie to each other, for you have stripped off the old sinful nature. Don't lie. Why is lying here? Because what? The father of lies is the devil. And if you have a habit of lying, a habit of saying things you know are not true, you're following the devil's ways. He's a liar. He's a deceiver. So we don't, you, these are the things we sometimes are, don't think about them as, as new saints especially, and we have to let them go. Don't lie to each other, for you have stripped off. First he says, get rid of, and then he says, strip off the old nature. You know what, a, when you got a, a, an onion and you start peeling off the outside so you can get to the inside. Strip off the old nature and all its wicked deeds. All those things he's nailing here, all those things he's talking about are wicked. I mean, we're talking about from God's perspective here. But remember, God's perspective is supposed to be our perspective. Right? That's what he said in verse 1. He said, since you have been raised to new life, your perspective should be his. When you pray, your prayer should always include, Lord, not as I will, but as your will be done. Because this is, the, this is a new man here. The old man wanted to have it and do it his way. The old man says, oh, I can figure this out for myself. The old man says, I'll, I'll figure out a way. I'll, I'll, I don't need help. The new man has said, I know I can't do this. I know this is a problem. I need help. And start with the Lord. He's your priority and you got a problem. There you go. Lord, I need help here. And I don't know what to do. Key words. I don't know what to do. Six words. I had to count them. I don't know what to do. Is the, that's the key to God right there. 
You let him know that you know you don't have an answer. You don't have a solution. You don't know what to do. And that God, that's what God wants you. That's where he wants you. He wants you right in that place where you are lost and have nowhere to go. Sometimes we, ask, we pray for people that the Lord deliver them out of such a thing. Guess what? When you pray for that, you need to watch what God does. For some people, God will allow them to get to the place where they're flat on their back and have nowhere else to look but up. And that's because you prayed. But sometimes you pray and you expect things to get better. Guess what? Sometimes they get worse. But remember, all that God does is because of his love for you. It's because of his love for them. He will let them find themselves with the face in the dirt if that is what it takes to get them to turn to him. So this next section is wonderful. He says, take off the old and put on the new. Verse 8. But now is the time. I think I just read this. He says to strip off the old nature. Okay. Verse 10 then. Now, you stripped off the old nature. This is what we do. You strip off the old and then you what? Put on the new. My, my niece is back there. They come down and look at me. Can I, you know, I want to wear this. Yeah. yeah okay. You've got to take off the other stuff first. And then you put on the new stuff. Right? He says, put on your new nature and be renewed as you what? learn to know your creator and become like him. All of this is to shape and fashion and form us into the image of Jesus Christ. That's what this is about. We're not trying to uh, uh, mess up your fun. But I'm going to tell you something. When you come to know the Lord, you ain't worried about that world's fun because he gives you something so much better than fun. He gives you the joy of the Lord. The scripture says what well, the joy of the Lord is what? My strength. The world will try to influence you and, 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 and uh, uh, distract you in following the ways of the world. It has flashing lights. And you, I always use Las Vegas as an example. You drive into Las Vegas at night and all you see, flashing lights just all over. Just, you know, very attractive. They're there and attractive for a purpose, to get your attention. But all they are is bad substitutes for the real thing. Jesus is the real thing. Those flashing lights are artificial. But Jesus says, I am the light of the world. He will give you a light on the inside of you. That is so much brighter than all that stuff that when you start looking at Las Vegas, you'd be like, oh, okay, I'm going around this city. It's not enough light here for me. Because this is what God, he wants us to be attracted to him. He wants us in relationship with him. You have good close friends and family that you just love to be around. Guess what? The Lord wants to be around you. He loves that communion with you. He loves the fellowship with you. And remember, if you're worried about the enemy, two scriptures come to, come to mind. Praise the Lord when you're worried about the enemy. Why? Because the Bible says that praise steals the enemy. When you start praising the Lord, the devil can't stand that. No, that because he, he's, he's, walk, he's, a, he's a king of darkness. And you start praising the Lord and light starts coming out. And he says, ah, you know, you see nothing. Where they, where they, where you, you put the light on it. It's like cockroaches. You, you know, and you turn on the light and the cockroaches start, Phew! they start going all under the furniture. You know, that's what the devil would do. Because praise steals the enemy. 
And it says that he inhabits the praises of his people. So when you start praising the Lord, the Lord, the spirit of the Lord starts to come in and boy, oh my, fellowship. Have you ever sat down and talked with another person about the Lord? And you notice that the time is gone. Where did the time go? Why? Because you've entered into the presence of the Lord. He said where two or three are gathered together in his name, he's in their midst. And if he's in the midst, guess where you are? You have, you have translated yourself out of time into eternity. And so you don't recognize how long it takes. It's how long you've been in this conversation. It seemed like you've been there five minutes. You're just an hour and 30 minutes. Whoa, I got to go. So he says, put on the new nature, learn to know your creator and become like him. And verse 11 says, in this new life, when you receive the, the, the spirit of Christ, you enter into a brand new life. It's called eternal life. In the beginning, I told you to underline verse one where it says new life. And then verse three, it says, for you died to this life. And then it says, and your real life is revealed. The real life, the, 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 the eternal life that God gives us is what's real. We think what we see is real. But he says that's not what's real. What you're seeing, everything you can see is going to perish. It's going to die. Even these bodies. The scripture says that from dust you came and you, you that's where you're going to go back to. But there is a life that is not seen, that is invisible, that lives inside of you. And that life is what emanates the light, the light of Christ. Verse 11, verse 12 says, since God chose you, he says, I, he says, what time is it? Wait a minute. Okay, I'll be done quickly. People, I see people getting, getting answers here. Since God chose you, you didn't choose him. He says, you have not chosen me. I've chosen you. And he chose you. He didn't just choose you when you accepted him. The scripture tells us what? He chose you before the foundation of the world. And you just happened to come into that, re that point in time. Remember, he's not in time. He's in eternity. But you have come to that point in time where you realize and recognize there's something changed in me. Something's new going on in me. I don't think the way I used to think. I don't see things from the same perspective I used to see them from. When I got saved, when I really, really, really recognized who God was, I just, it was radical for me. I threw away all my jazz albums. I threw away the whole record player. I so wish I hadn't done that. But at that time, I needed to. And God was showing me something that I had entered into a new life and a new way. He calls it the new and living way. Since God chose you to be holy, chose you to be holy, that just means separate, different from the rest of the world. Chose you to be holy, a holy people. Look at this. Look at verse 1. He chose you to be a holy people. He loves. He loves you. He says, because of that, he says, you must clothe yourselves with these attributes. Remember, we looked at the attributes of the old man, the old nature. These are the attributes of the new nature. Mercy, tender-hearted mercy, 
And that's not just for the people you like. It's not just for the people you agree with or accept their lifestyle. Some people's lifestyles are bad, but we still have to be merciful to that person. Why? Because Jesus was merciful to us. I don't know about you. He sure was merciful to me. How many day? How many times? His mer- and his mercy does what? Endures to all generations. And his mercies are what? New every morning. Why? We need mercy every day. I had mercy yesterday, but this is a new day. I need mercy today. And the same way I need mercy, these people need mercy. They need love. That's why they are confused because they don't know where to go. They're supposed to go to us. Jesus said what? It's not them that are well that need a physician, but those that are sick. These people are sick. They're spiritually sick. Just like you and I were before we came to Christ. And the only way they're going to come to the, to the Lord is if, they, if we do what? Share the love of Christ. That's what the scripture says. If our gospel is hidden, it's hidden to the ones that need to hear it the most. And that's a, that's a tough one for some people. But we have to love even those that are unlovable. Even our hard-headed kids are are uh, uh, mean husbands, our mean wives. We have to still love. Mercy, kindness, humility. Humility. That speaks to servanthood. That speaks to the fact that we are to serve others. Jesus says, I didn't come into the world to be served. He said, I came to serve And give my life a ransom for many. Are we willing to serve to such a degree? Gentleness and patience. How many want more patience? Raise your hand if you want more patience. I I, I shouldn't have said that. Yeah, because the only way to get more patience is you got to go through some stuff. That was a trick question, and you guys that didn't know, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. So when you find yourself in the fire, just, just, there. <laughs> Count it all joy, my brother said, my son. Praise God. Patience. Verse 13 says, make allowance for each other's faults and forgive. Make allowance for for each other's faults. This is especially important for for married people. Because we love to point the finger at, whoa, you did this. But no, but you did that. You know, it's like a competition, you know. Look, husbands and wives, we are supposed to be on the same team. There's no second team. We're on the same team. So when she messes up, she leaves the fire on in the kitchen, I just turn it off. I ain't got to go tell her, you left the fire on. (laughs) Including the face. That's the thing. No, you just turn the thing off and move on. Because she's on your team, you're on her team. Or his team. (laughs) We are supposed to have each other's back. 
I'm supposed to have her back. She's supposed to have my back. Pastor Perry's supposed to have his back, have Sandy's back, and she's supposed to have his back. We cover each other's faults. We don't point them out and say, you know, this is why. And then you, then you know, five years down the line, you did this and you did this. And you did. Wait a minute. What is the scripture just telling us right here? Forgiving. You know, forgiving is not forgetting. That's not what it's saying here. It's saying forgiving. In other words, you don't hold it against them and you move on and you continue to do what? Support them. Forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, he says, the Lord forgave you. So you must forgive others. Verse 11 says, above all, clothe yourselves with love. Clothe yourselves with love. You can just insert Jesus there. Clothe yourself with Jesus. Christ, God is love. Clothe yourself with love, which binds us together in harmony. As we sing in the songs this morning, I like to be harmonizing because it sounds better. Harmony, that's that. You know, harmony is good because it's, it's peaceful. When you cover the fault instead of pointing it out, because you point it out, now you got friction. Now you got a, now you got a, a, a back and forth. That's not peaceful. I like peace. How many like peace? Raise your hand if you like peace. <laughs> Binds us together in perfect harmony. Verse 15 says, and let the peace that comes from Christ rule. Rule. Let the peace rule. This morning, Brother Chucky brought up the fact that God is sovereign. He's sovereign. Sovereign means that he is super sovereign. Coming with super reign. He's the ultimate reign. Sovereign. Let, let the peace of God rule. In other words, peace should be the order of the day wherever you go. Wherever you go. No loud at back, you, you know, you raise your voice. I'm really bad. You should be really bad. I'm better now than I used to be. When I get a little defensive, my, vo- my, my, my volume goes up. And it's not on purpose. It just happens. But he's saying here, let peace rule in your heart. For as members of one body, you're called to live in peace. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. And always be what? Thankful. And I'm going to wrap this up with, I'm going to give you five other reasons to be thankful. We gave you one reason in verse 1. Because verse 1 says, you've been raised to new life in Christ. And he says, set your, your sights on the realities of heaven. We are already should be thankful because we are seated in heavenly places. In Christ, Colossians 3, 1. But also, we have, besides heavenly perspective, because we're seated in heaven, we also have heavenly peace. We sing, we sing that song, Silent Night, Holy Night. Peace. Was it? It's sleep in heavenly peace. We have heavenly peace. Philippians 4 says we have peace that what? Passes understanding. 
Isaiah 9, 6 says, Unto you is chi- a child is born, unto you a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. He shall be called what? Wonderful. Counselor. Mighty God. Everlasting Father. What's the last one? Prince of Peace. And if the Prince of Peace is, re- is, is living in you, then you should walk in peace. That should be the order of the day. So we have heavenly peace. We have heavenly privilege. First Peter 2.9 says what? We are a royal priesthood. We're royalty. We have privilege with God. We have privilege because we are his children. He is our father in heaven, our heavenly father. In, in, in a household where you have a father, when you get hungry as a little boy, you know, Daddy, I'm hungry. And you just keep, like, walk past him. You don't ask for nothing. You just go open the fridge. So open it and say, what's what we got here? You know, because I'm hungry. You don't go to your father and say, Ah! I need, I need to eat. No, you know where the food is. You are his child, and he's your father. You have it like that. We have privilege. This one's laughing because he's, he's, that's my son, right? He's a, he know what I'm talking about. We have heavenly privilege. We have heavenly position. We are seated in heavenly places in Christ. And when we're seated in heavenly places in Christ, that means our perspective is changed. Before, when you were not in Christ, you walked through the forest. It's like you walked through the forest. You can't see all the big trees because they're so mid. They're so high and they're so big and it's so 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 compacted. You can't, but you can't see from the the way God sees it. God sees, and those trees are so high. How many have never been to the forest up north and seen the giant sequoias? If you've never seen them, you you got to see them. They're huge. They're so tall. They go up. They're like going sideways. They're going up so high. But when you see, and they're great, trees, they're beautiful. But when you fly over the same forest in an airplane, those big, tall trees look like little blades of grass. And that's how God sees our problems. They're minute. Is there anything too hard for the Lord? What's the answer? No. No thing is too hard for the Lord because we have heavenly position. But we also have heavenly protection. First John 4, 4 says what? Greater is he that is in us than he that's in the world. I have heavenly protection. I don't need no worldly protection. Remember David said this, this, this armament, this worldly armament you're trying to give me, I can't do this, this job with that. I need the rock. And so he went and got the rock and sunk it in that man's forehead. And he hit the deck hard, didn't he? Woo, yeah. And he took his sword and chopped his head off. Hey, man, we got heavenly protection. Exodus seventeen fifteen. If you remember, this is where uh, uh, Moses is taking them out of the wilderness. And he says that, G- that God is our banner. Jehovah Nissi. God, my banner. That means he leads me in battle to victory. He doesn't just lead me in the battle. He leads me in battle to victory. 
And if you remember the story of the, 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 those episodes where you see the, the, the armies are coming and in the front, they have the, somebody's carrying the flag. That's a banner. That's the flag. That means our nation is coming after you. Well, Jesus is our banner. Taking us to victory. He's, we have heavenly protection. And finally, we have heavenly provision. Genesis 22, 8. God will provide. This is the story of Abraham when he takes Isaac up to Mount Moriah to offer him to the Lord. Because the Lord said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, and offer him for a burnt offering. And when they got up there, Isaac asked the question, Father, here's the wood. Here's the fire. Something's missing. Where is the lamb? And God's answer is phenomenal because he said, God will provide himself. He will provide himself as a lamb. And so he's called God our provider, Jehovah Jireh. Amen. And for Philippians 4.19 says, My God shall supply all your needs according to what? Not what's in your fridge, not according to what's at the store, but according to his riches. What that means is he's going to provide you with what you really need. And sometimes you don't know what that is, but he has it and he has it in hand and he's ready to give it to us. He's our provider. So in wrapping this up, focus on heaven and be thankful. Amen. God bless you. I'm done. Praise God. Now, now if he preached like that, then he